0: For JD Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com/awards. Only at a Sleep Number Store or sleepnumber.com.
1: Hello, I'm Alice Su, The Economist Senior China Correspondent based in Taipei. And I'm here with my co-host, David Rennie, the Economist Beijing Bureau Chief.
2: When Xi Jinping talks about China weathering high winds and stormy seas, we often think about competition with America. But for Xi, China's shrinking population is a domestic challenge just as hard to navigate.
1: For a long time, China was the most populous country in the world, but not anymore
2: even as China's government encourages people to have more children, Xi Jinping has been calling an aging population the new normal.
1: This week, we're asking, what does China's falling birth rate mean for its future? Can a party that is all about growth switch to managing decline?
2: This is Drum Tower. from
1: The Economist.
2: Alice, how are you doing?
1: Hi, David. I am doing well. How are you?
2: Alice, i got to say, I am really still kind of stunned by your two-part podcast series on Uyghurs overseas and how the Chinese state and secret police are trying to control them. It is bleak, it's grim, but it's really powerful stuff. And I listened to both episodes all in one go. And I really recommend listeners, if they haven't already heard it, go to the Drum Tower feed and listen.
1: Thanks, David. I have to give the credit to also our production team, which I know did an immense amount of work putting it all together. And I'm quite happy that it's out as well.
2: It was worth it. So Alice, it is high time that we had an episode looking at China's population because it's such a totemic number, right? I mean, to the point that every time you or I have been called into the Chinese foreign ministry to be given a dressing down, they tell us that we have hurt the feelings of 1.4 billion Chinese people. It's like the ultimate put down. and now they're not the world's biggest population.
1: That's right. In fact, China has been overtaken by India. And one part of this demographic change is the really low fertility rates in China, right? So for a country to keep a stable population, the average woman needs to have 2.1 kids over her lifetime. But the average woman in China has only 1.2.
2: And I'm sure lots of listeners are saying, well, hang on, isn't this just the one child policy? Yes, it is. But that's not the whole story. Because as you and I have talked to demographers over the years, Alice, that actually China's birth rates were falling before the one-child policy, and the one-child policy only ran from the 1980s until just a few years ago, and it was enforced most strictly in cities. It wasn't like a blanket, only one-child-per-family policy. And lots and lots of societies, as they get richer and better educated, their birth rates fall. But what we can say is that China has some China-specific problems, and one of those is that the one-child policy was extremely cruel. When I was first a China journalist going to villages where every woman in the village would have her menstrual cycle written on a blackboard on the village committee wall so everyone could see whether they might be pregnant again. We've interviewed people, remember, on the New Year train journey, I met a woman who'd had a baby too soon, and so they'd threatened to tear the roof off her house. China's stock of children probably isn't as different as every other country in Asia that's got a falling birth rate. But it's distributed really weirdly. You have 150 million one-child families in China. And that's creating these strange headaches. Like even when families think about having two kids, when the mother is an only child and the dad is an only child, they're having to go to like psychologists to say, there's sibling rivalry in my house and I don't know how to cope with it because I've never met a brother or a sister. And so it's a really skewed society that that policy has left people with.
1: Yeah, and it's really sad because when I talk to demographers about this, a lot of them make the point that, as you said, you know, China was headed towards this shrinking population anyway. So it just does seem like Chinese women and Chinese society in general, but women in particular, had to go through all this unnecessary cruelty to get there. But when you actually look at the birth rates across Asia, in Taiwan, in South Korea, in Japan, they all have this similar trend of declining fertility, of shrinking and aging populations. And one of the really good demographers who works on China, Wang Feng from UC Irvine, he makes this point that the reason why birth rates are dropping is mostly because of social change. It's because women across East Asia are getting more educated, they're getting more empowered and independent, but they're also still living in these very patriarchal societies. But naturally, as women have more independence and more ability to make their own choices, they choose to push back marriage and to have less kids to pursue their careers.
2: And what's really fascinating is to see how even a government as bossy and all-powerful as the Chinese Communist Party is actually struggling to make people have more kids. And we're literally seeing... Officials whose whole careers were spent in family planning, fining people, bullying people, forcing them to have abortions. Those same officials are now bullying people to have three kids because now you're allowed to have three kids under the Chinese policy. But it's not working, right?
1: Yeah, that's right. It's the family planning officials who, yeah, ironically, now they're trying to get people to get married and to have more kids. And you can also see in the Chinese news how various provinces have been trying to do this. There's a clip here from Dragon TV's Kandongfang News that was broadcast in February. So local governments are pursuing all kinds of policies to try and incentivize people to have more kids. And in this clip, you can hear them saying that Hangzhou is handing out parenting subsidies to parents who have second or third children. So a family would get 20,000 yuan for having a third child.
2: Okay, so that's about $3,000, just under $3,000. That sounds chunky, but actually I've met Chinese people who say that kind of subsidy, it's not enough to even begin to pay the cost of having a kid in modern China.
1: Yeah, exactly.
2: I must say some of the campaigns are a little clunkier than others. So Alice, via the magic of the interwebs, I'm now sending you (laughs) two pictures of the same third grade primary school textbook, a morality and law textbook. And the one on the left is from 2018 and the one on the right is the new edition.
1: Oh my gosh. Okay. I get the message right away (laughs) because what you can see here is a very happy family in the park. There's a mom and a dad and their daughter, presumably with a kite. In the old textbook, it's just the three of them. And in the new textbook, it's the exact same picture, except that there's a stroller now and there's a baby in the stroller. And there's also a comment that I think probably a netizen added pointing to the mom's stomach and commenting, is this the third baby? So it's the same happy family, but now instead of the happy only child, it's a happy two children and potentially a third on the way.
2: And someone took the little girl's kite. Yeah. I also noticed wrong. that the given kite that she is now, gone. Given that she now has yeah. a baby brother to face <laughs> with. Yeah. It's not subtle, but it's where we are. And of course, one of the fascinating things is it's not just childbirth, right? It's also marriage rates are collapsing.
1: Yeah, that's right. I mean, I have been noticing these Chinese state media reports recently, especially because last month in May, there was this date, Wu Arling, May 20th. And supposedly it kind of sounds like, well, ai it sounds like I love you in Chinese.
2: It doesn't really sound like it, does it?
1: <laughs> yeah, I don't know. But, you know, in China, they always say Wu Arling is I love you and i saw that the family planning association was launching pilot projects in 20 cities to promote new era marriage and childbearing culture and You know, and it's not really clear how they're going to promote that culture. We saw reports about having lectures about the importance of family, streamlining marriage registration. And I did see that they were really trying to promote May 20th and trying to get people to say, oh, it's an I love you day. So why not come and register your marriage? But afterwards, we did go and check out the statistics that were published by several local provincial level governments. And across the board, we only saw drops in marriage registration. So, I mean, it could be that... People are just busy on that day. But also the overall annual numbers for marriage registration have also been steadily dropping over the last 10 years.
2: It could also be, just throwing this out there, that being nagged to do something romantic by a government bureaucrat <laughs> isn't very effective. Yeah.
1: Personally, I'd say like, it's not that appealing to think of, oh, I want to go get married on May 20th with everybody else in my city at the New Era Marriage Center, you know, because it's going to be efficient and we can all get married at the same time. It's not really the marriage dream.
2: (laughs) Yeah, let's go to the mass wedding at the Communist Party committee. So I wanted to understand how this is working in China's shrinking cities, because this is not just a national number, 1.4 billion, that has got a little bit smaller. This is a real urgent crisis right now in lots of cities. There are, I think, over 700 cities in China whose populations have shrunk substantially over the last decade. I went to one particular city, Yichun, That's right up in the north of China, not far from the Russian border in the province of Heilongjiang. And I went there because it's not just really, really grey with lots of old people. It stands out for a very specific reason. Kids are rarer in Ichun than in any other Chinese city.
1: Yeah, that is fascinating. And we will hear more about your trip to Ichun in a moment. If you want to hear more about Asia's demographics challenges, then listen to our sister podcast, Money Talks the team is investigating what can be done to improve birth rates and to avoid an impending economic slump. You'll find that show wherever you listen. And to enjoy all of our journalism in print and online, you'll need to be a subscriber. So if you're not already, we have a free 30-day digital subscription just for our listeners. Visit economist.com slash drum offer to find out more.
0: For JD Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com/awards. Only at a Sleep Number Store or sleepnumber.com.
1: David, you recently went to this shrinking city in northern China. Each one, tell me what was it like?
2: So Alice, in China, there are more than 700 cities that have shrunk really dramatically over the last decade. And one common variety is state-owned company towns where the main industry closes down. And so there's just not enough work to keep young adults around. And so they just move elsewhere. It's one of those. So it used to be a forestry town. And for environmental reasons, they're not allowed to cut the trees down anymore. And the effects have been so dramatic. So you go back 20 years and every year, Yichun had about 17,000 babies born. And the last year they counted, which was a couple of years ago, it wasn't 17,000. It was 2,000 babies born and hugely outnumbered by old people dying.
1: I see. And and just to be clear, the connection there between the end of the lumber industry and the declining birth rate is that basically there aren't jobs, right? So the young people who are going to have babies are not going to do it in Yichun and people have been leaving the city. So the people who are left are basically the elderly. That's right. And what is each one's plan to do with that? Are they just gonna accept their city aging and shrinking until all the people disappear, or, or do they have a, a plan to reverse these trends?
2: It's really interesting. So when I went there, I asked to speak to the local kind of propaganda officials, the education officials, because I wanted to know what they're doing. Because it chun is at the top of the list of the Chinese census for being a city with no kids. Just about seven percent of their population mm. is aged under 14, which is unbelievably low by even Chinese standards, certainly international standards. And the answer to the question, how is Yichun trying to cope with this, comes in two parts. There's a highly visible part which officials want to talk about, which is all about reinventing Yichun as an eco-tourist destination. And I have to say, I cannot fault the local officials for a lack of zeal and vim.
1: Yeah, they were probably really excited that you were there, right? Since they're trying to promote Yichun, like a
2: journalist... So they were a little scared. Were they? Yeah. So for a long time, they didn't understand why I was coming. And then when they worked that out, they weren't that happy. But then to give them credit, they decided to kind of go for it. And so I was there saying... I'm really sorry. I'm here to talk about the fact that the census says you have a massive problem, and there are no babies being born. And they just like no. Let us tell you about our blueberries, and we want to tell you about our moor, our tree ear fungus, and our delicious white birch juice. Have some more. They were very good hosts, <laughs> mm-hmm. but it was a kind of weird conversation because I wanted to talk about fertility, and they wanted to talk about tourism. They took me at one point to a bookshop that they had built, really nice bookshop. Have to say, on a lakeside with beautiful scenery behind. Hmm. And I was asking them my annoying questions about fertility rates and demographics. And one of the officials just burst into song. <laughs> and she sang me Ichun's tourist anthem, My Home in the Forest, as her colleagues swayed and clapped along.
0: Mm.
1: Wow, that is amazing. (laughs) David, they should have given you a a copy of the lyrics so that you could sing along.
2: (laughs) I did get shown a lot of videos. And they were, you know, obviously constantly pushing the pine nuts. Very nice pine nuts, blueberries, Mm. white birch juice.
1: And how is the white birch juice?
2: Now, I mean, I'm big on things like herbal teas. It doesn't taste of a huge amount. Mm. It basically tastes like, you know, you should sort of guess white birch juice tastes like. One of the oddities was that I was in this city because the census is really clear that this is a city with fewer kids than any other in China. And yet lots of people want to talk about how many of their friends are having babies and how there are lots of kids. The only person who didn't muck about was this grandfather picking up his eight-year-old grandson from primary school. I should say, you will hear at some point his eight-year-old grandson getting really fed up by the fact that his grandfather is talking to a journalist rather than taking him home. And I asked him whether there were fewer kids nowadays in each year, and he was like, yeah. Wow,
1: so you can hear him saying, like, this is one of the reasons that people wanted to have children, but they weren't allowed to. Now it is allowed, but people can't afford to have kids anymore.
2: That's right, Alison. So it's those social questions that we talked about at the beginning, women getting more empowered, pushing back at a patriarchal society. But when you go somewhere where the economy is just on its knees, like Yichun, people can't afford to have more than one kid. It's expensive.
1: Right. So David, you mentioned that Mr. Kong is the only person who admitted there are fewer children, and the officials are out there insisting that we're going to be this vibrant ecotourism town. But were there other ways in which you could see that the city government actually recognizes that shrinking cannot be reversed and they need to adapt?
2: Yeah. And it's a fascinating question because the Communist Party has for decades promoted officials for overseeing growth, right? It was all about your economic growth numbers. It was all about your city getting bigger and absorbing outlying villages. And that was how you got promoted as a Chinese official. But actually, if you run a place like Yichun, it's about managing decline smartly. And it's going on, they just don't want to talk about it. So we went to Yichun's number six middle school, which actually merged with another middle school a few years ago. And so we went to a biology lesson. These are kids from two different schools now merged into one.
0: Wow,
1: so I mean, it sounds like a standard classroom classroom. And a biology lesson that's going on. But once you know that this classroom is actually a bunch of students merged from multiple schools, then that really puts the shrinking into perspective.
2: Parts of the heart was the lesson that we watched. (laughs) There's other really unusual things that Ichun has been doing. For the last 30 years of reform and opening, every city is boasting about taking in outlying villages and turning them into parts of the city. Ichun just gave some outlying districts back and shed outlying bits and turn them into independent rural townships. And that is really rare example of kind of de-urbanization.
1: Yeah, and I guess they have to do that too, because the latest census makes it so clear that there are fewer and fewer people. Because in the past, when there was still this narrative that China is this huge country with tons of people, there's always going to be more people and it's always going to be growing, a lot of officials were making money through local land sales, right? And as long as they could keep up with this idea that China has a lot of people. There are going to be more people. They could keep justifying auctioning new plots to developers. But now, now everyone knows we're not growing anymore. How does that change the incentives for local officials?
2: The central government is going to have to get a lot smarter about managing decline because, as you say, Alice, one of the biggest sources of revenue for local governments is selling land, and it's much easier to justify having an auction to sell some state-owned land if you can point to the population's going to get bigger and bigger, we have to build. But you drive around the edge of each one, And there's all these dusty housing estates with no one in them. And so that is not a city that can justify easily having another land auction.
1: Yeah. And what about those policies we were talking about just a little bit earlier? The encouragement of marriage and having kids. I know the officials were eager to change the conversation and focus on tourism. But did you see any sign that they were also trying to promote more childbirth in each one?
2: So the province around Ichun, Heilongjiang, has crashing birth rates, crashing marriage rates, and is handing out cash bonuses to families. But actually, one of the really honest moments was while I was listening to the song about uh, my home in the forest in the bookshop, a new guy came in who was the boss of the local Communist Party Youth League. And he's a bit of an influencer. He has a social media account. He's like a local celebrity, Wang Hao. And so I just asked him, how many kids do you have? And it was like... But then he was actually pretty honest. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I
1: really like how he put his personal situation in like a sandwich of the officially correct thing to say because first he said, of course, Everyone wants a second child. A lot of people around me want a second child. And, you know, even my wife and my parents thought that we should have a second child. But, but you know, the reality is I got really busy with work. My wife got busy with work. So we gave up on the idea. And then he goes back to, but, you know, everybody wants to have a second child. There are lots of second children coming.
2: <laughs> I like your sandwich. Yeah, there was a slice of honesty baloney in the middle. Mm-hmm. where He was like, Yeah, work is pretty busy.
1: So, David, we have been talking about China's aging and shrinking population, and you've just taken us to Yichun, where we saw that despite the officials' efforts to sing songs about a new future for Yichun, the fact is that their population is shrinking. And I think we should discuss the question of what all this really means. Does a shrinking population mean that China has peaked? Because We do see a lot of commentary about these trends where people quickly say, oh, see, China is losing its advantage. They're going to have less people. It's going to be a huge economic burden because there'll be more elderly than there are young people. There won't be enough workers. And this is really going to be the beginning of China's decline.
2: So I think not necessarily, right? I mean, I think there's a kind of cheap shot that some people are taking that as soon as China's population starts to shrink even a bit, that China is doomed. But what is clear is that the top leadership, including Xi Jinping, the Supreme Leader, they are very focused on this. They understand that it's no longer just enough to say that China is getting bigger and bigger. It's how do you make better use of the people that you have? And we saw some new, pretty candid language from him at a meeting of one of these very powerful Communist Party bodies that he chairs that oversees the economy. And he talks about China now has lower birth rates, an aging population, different bits of China have different population growth. And this is a new normal that policymakers have to adapt to. And it was so interesting that he started talking about high quality population development, which I think is a bit like we talked in the past, how it's about high quality economic growth. It's this emphasis on it's not just about numbers getting bigger. It's about what you do with what you have.
1: Yeah, I think it's actually really encouraging to see that the Chinese government is now acknowledging Yes, they're still trying to promote the marriage and the childbirth, but they're also recognizing okay, we won't really be able to force people to have babies in the way that we were able to force them to stop having babies in the past. And so we need to adapt. And to me, you know, kind of that easy idea of China is going to have less people, so they won't have the same advantages and they're going to decline. I think it's just a little bit too simple. Right. And for me, I, I would never underestimate the Communist Party's ability to make adaptations. And that's not only about quality population development as you quoted but it's also about looking at automation and manufacturing making sure that actually maybe nowadays you don't need so many workers in the factories to produce the same amount of goods and we can see that china is already making a lot of progress in those areas
2: Look, you're right. I mean, China is brilliant at making plans. It is not brilliant at worrying about individual rights and people's own personal choices, right? So I'm sure we'll see some really smart stuff involving kind of robots turning up in factories and tweaking the residence rules. And there are some easy fixes, like the retirement age for blue-collar women with manual jobs is 50, which is unbelievably low. But you start tugging at these levers of social policy and things get hard because... There are a lot of grandparents in their 50s who are a huge source of free childcare for their working age children. So if you start changing that, it starts getting complicated.
1: What do you think about this other kind of comforting theory that a shrinking China will become less dangerous because it's less powerful or policymakers will be distracted dealing with all these demographic challenges?
2: Look, I have heard American military officers saying that in a country with lots of spoiled only children in one-child families, will their mothers and fathers let them go off and fight a war in Taiwan? And so maybe that's a reason not to be frightened of China. My problem with that is that Russia is another country whose population is going south in a big way. I mean, their fertility rate in Russia is now 1.5. And the last time I checked, Russia didn't look a lot less dangerous.
1: Yeah, exactly.
2: And the same goes for social norms, right? that when countries, particularly autocracies, feel under threat or sort of besieged, they can often become more socially conservative. And we see this in China. Women are more and more precious because there are more men than women because of selective abortion over the years. They need more children to be born. And yet, what do we see? We see pressure on women. We see divorce courts denying divorces to women with abusive, violent husbands for the sake of keeping the family together.
1: Yeah. And, you know, I think that's actually the real story beneath the story here. One of the demographers I was talking to recently told me, you know, he's kind of annoyed because he keeps getting questions from reporters about, is China's economy going to crash? Is it going to crash because the population is shrinking? And he said, that's a sort of interesting question, but... It doesn't get at the real root cause of declining fertility, which is social change. And everyone is so focused on, is China going to decline? They're not seeing this actual clash that is happening. And that's actually worsening between state and society in China, right? And it's between feminists or empowered women who don't want to live in the same kind of traditional gender roles as before And they're coming up against a very patriarchal state that is more and more insistent on them doing their role for the motherland, producing the children and fulfilling those traditional roles.
2: All overseen, of course, by a communist party that has never put a woman in its top leadership, the Politburo Standing Committee, and the wider Politburo for the first time in, I think it's a quarter century, Alice, no woman is now in the Politburo under Xi Jinping.
1: Yeah, and, and that's especially troubling because China has so many policy decisions to make that will involve women, but will be made without any women.
2: Thank you to everyone who's been emailing us. And remember, you can send us an email at drum at economist.com.
1: Thank you for listening to Drum Tower. We'll be back next week. Our editor is Poppy Seabag Montefiore. Alicia Burrell and Barkley Bram produced this episode. Sound design is by Ting Lee Lim, and our music was composed by Jocelyn Tan. The executive producer is Marguerite Howell.
0: This Mother's Day, treat mom to healthy, glowing skin with Osea's limited edition skincare sets. Osea has been making clean, seaweed-infused products for nearly 30 years.